Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of ATL Alts. This is your host, Andre Sindate. I am joined today by George Kushner, the CEO of H2 Crypto, a next generation cryptocurrency exchange. I have known George for a number of years, and I'm excited to get an update on what he's working on at H2 Crypto. So with no further ado, uh, welcome to the ATL Alts podcast, George. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Very excited to be here. Tell us about where you're from. How'd you get into you know, what you're doing today? Well, I'm, um, I'm a relatively unique character in the fact that I am a native Atlantan and Atlanta has become such a transitory community. And it's amazing that any of us are left, but I am a native son of uh, this area. I've been here for a long, long time. That being said, I've spent an awful lot of time in Manhattan. Uh, the reason for that is I've spent almost three decades, about 27 years in financial services. And I grew up in and around the traditional space. I've had about two or three different careers. I started off in the institutional fixed income and derivative landscape, where I was selling bonds and derivatives to hedge funds and central banks and pension plans and state treasuries and bank portfolios, and did that for about 12 and a half years on the street. Saw kind of the writing on the wall in the early 2000s. You had spread compression, you had commoditization of products with the advent of electronic trading and Bloomberg and market access and trade web. And so the roles of a fixed income salesperson were becoming more and more diminished. And that led me to really my first career pivot, where I went from traditional uh, fixed income derivative sales into alternative investments. And why did I do that? Well, again, I saw the writing on the wall with, as I just mentioned, the spread compression and commoditization but I noticed that my alternative investment accounts, my hedge fund accounts, my leverage accounts were just growing and proliferating. So it dawned on me that, hey, this whole alternative investment thing is something where I need to move my future career. And I was fortunate in the fact that I ended my fixed income career with Merrill, but I was then able to join Merrill's hedge fund development and management group. And that group was in charge of really distributing third-party alternative investments. So that included hedge funds and fund of funds and uh, CTAs, commodity trading advisors, as well as private equity and real estate. And that got me a really, really different landscape and experience level coming from the fixed income world and really seeing more broadly all these different components of alternative investments. And I had a great run doing that, worked for some fantastic firms, including, as I mentioned, Merrill Lynch's Hedge Fund Development and Management Group. I worked for a company called Permal. I worked for the Man Group, which was at the time the largest uh, publicly traded hedge fund manager in the world based out of the UK. And I worked for BlackRock. And I did that, like I said, for about 10 or 12 years. And then my last career pivot before coming into the crypto world was in private banking and did that for about two years. So I think starting this company, um, I couldn't have had a better background with all these different facets and components within the financial services industry, dealing with, dealing with both very large, sophisticated institutional investors, but also at the end of my career, towards the end of my traditional finance career, dealing with kind of um, you know, high net worth and ultra high net worth individuals. And, um, and that's when I got led into uh, cryptocurrencies. If you remember, what was the first time you heard about crypto or Bitcoin and kind of how, how did you take it? Yeah, that's a great question. And I absolutely remember, and I remember it incredibly vividly. And we have to roll the calendar back to 2015. 
I was working for BlackRock in Manhattan and a colleague of mine at the time who subsequently become a dear friend, he said, uh, what do you think about Bitcoin? And I said, I'll tell you exactly what I think about Bitcoin. I said, I think Bitcoin is the biggest crock of, now I know this is a family show, so I'm not going to say the word, but the biggest crock of SHI, and you can fill in the last letter for those listening, and I pretty much uh, can assure you know what I was saying. Now, the question really goes, how did you go from saying that and being such a skeptic and naysayer to now doing what you're doing? And it's real simple. When I answered the first question in 2015, being a naysayer, that stemmed from total arrogance and hubris. Here I was at the time, a 20-odd-year Wall Street veteran who, again, had sold central, had sold derivatives to central banks, thought I knew everything about everything, and this Bitcoin was just a, a joke. I didn't know what it was and had no idea. You've worked at some of the most prestigious firms, but perception from the outside looking in would be, well, these are the smartest people in the room. Is that the case? Yeah, it's su super interesting question that you ask that. And I think that, you know, I had mentioned my own arrogance and hubris. I think that is absolutely systemic across the street, especially when you're working at some of these storied franchises like you were just alluding to. You're just, you know, expected to know everything about everything. And the unfortunate aspect of it is, I think that where you are in your career dictates a lot to receptivity. And what I mean by that is, I think that it's unfortunate that a lot of men and women working in the street that are called 40 and up, again, they're supposed to be in these positions and they're supposed to be, you know, the masters of their, their fate and captain, their destiny. And they know everything about everything. And the reality is I look at financial services as people look at law and medicine. And when you think about the professions of law and medicine, they are considered practitioners. You're practicing law, you're practicing medicine. Why do they say practicing? Because you're constantly evolving, you constantly have innovative ideas and new techniques and strategies. Financial services is the same way. And I think that, that a lot of people are not willing to try and learn new things. And when you try and present something to them, again, uh, depending on where they are in their career, they give you kind of the Heisman, just like I was. I mean, there are a lot of Wall Street guys out there that are still continuing to chirp about crypto being a bubble and crypto being akin to the tulip phase and all these different things. And I want to shake them by the shoulders and say, I was there. But you know what's amazing is when you actually take interest in something and you start reading. And that's what made me change my mind. I actually sat down and perform copious amounts of due diligence. What is blockchain? What is distributed ledger technology? Then I started to try and understand the cryptocurrencies. And I finally had this massive aha moment. And there's a phrase in business that people use a lot that drove me absolutely crazy and I could never understand it. And now I relate to it. And the phrase is, you know, Wayne Gretzky wasn't the greatest hockey player in the world because he skated to where the puck was but because he skated to where Puck was going. And I always called BS on that. I was like, what does that even mean? Is the guy a magician? Is he a clairvoyant? Does he pull rabbits out of his hats? He just knew where the Puck was going. And Andreas, for the first time in my life, when I really had this aha moment with the technology that really cryptocurrencies run off of, I was like, my God, this is going to be, in my humble opinion, more transformed to the globe than the steam engine, the cotton gin, and the internet itself. I think there's a, you know, there's two sets of people right now, those who know 
and those who have yet to learn. And the last point I'll make is it's almost astonishing to me that you're talking about an industry, meaning you know blockchain and Bitcoin, it's now been around for 12 years. And so when you look at an industry that's over a decade old, but yet by the same token, when friends of mine and colleagues of mine find out what I'm doing, they're saying, you know, hey, what's going on? I think it's too late and I missed the boat. I'm like, it's too late. Are you kidding me? If we were to draw sporting analogies, I would say, you know, we're maybe still in the batting cages. The first inning hadn't started. I think it's an extraordinarily fascinating uh, industry, and I think it's going to be, again, globally transformative to a whole host of industries, not just financial services. You have had several periods of your career where you made these what you called pivots. What do you think happens to folks out there employed in these traditional finance industries that could potentially be disrupted? Are they missing? something when it comes to their own employability by not having these skills, not knowing this train is coming and it's moving. So I want to get your take on that from just a human capital perspective. Look, I think regardless of the industry, you have to constantly strive to better yourself and constantly strive to educate yourself. It doesn't take a degree from an Ivy League school. It takes someone that is willing to be uh, determined, passionate, ambition, and be a student of their craft. As I mentioned, if you're in financial services, things are constantly innovative and you can't be a dinosaur in this space. I know that, again, from a, from a humbleness and humility standpoint, that depending on you know, what firm you work for and what your title is, I mean, if you're an MD at you know, Goldman Sachs, do you really want to hear me be saying these things? Probably not. But the reality is, I think that if you have the security from within, then you're doing not only yourself a better justice, but ultimately your client. And that's what it boils down to. Are you doing what's right? Are these firms doing what's right for the client? Now, again, I don't care what industry we're talking about. Just think about people and facets of their life and their willingness and receptivity to change. People don't like change and I get it. It's hard, it's tough, you're used to what you're doing. But the reality is, if you really want to strive to better yourself and help better your firm, then I think it's really all about continuing this kind of uh, pardon me, education model. There's so many things out there that are free. Again, you don't have to go sign up for all these courses and pay money. I have spent hundreds, if not thousands now of hours immersing myself in the subject matter. And the majority of it come from you know, free online publications, daily emails. Yes, I've bought a couple of books here and there, but we're talking less than $100. So for the companies, I think that's, that's a little bit bigger of a challenge. You know, If you're a senior guy at any of the top firms across the street, and you are a big believer in blockchain and what it can do to your company, the reality is you are still a cog in a wheel. And there are a lot of people around you in these firms, I feel, that don't want to hear it. They like what they have. They're used to the old time rails. They don't want to change anything. They don't want to you know, upset the apple cart. And I think that's absolutely the wrong way to think about things. I think that, again, it kind of boils down to if you always constantly have your client in mind at the beginning of a thesis, your objective and everything you close out, then how can you really say in good faith by not looking at innovation and not seeing how you can deploy it in your firm 
and make changes for betterments, I think you're doing a disservice. I didn't want to bring on experts to do the 303 class and the 404 class. I wanted to bring on people who had this personal experience that had a backstory who could help bring us up to speed on, hey, this is what I tried to do when I first tried to open up an account. And this is what happened. And as a result, a company was born. Did you have one of those moments? Exactly. You have literally stolen uh, stolen our script. And the story, so 2015, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, that was when I was first introduced to the space, a total naysayer. And several years down the road, I finally decided to embark on what I'm calling on this calling knowledge quest. Okay. I was at a point where, again, having been in traditional finance at that point for almost a quarter of a century, and feeling I have a pretty good grasp on capital markets and econometrics and all these types of things, but didn't really understand the crypto space. And it was starting to become more and more prolific and people were talking about it more and more. And this is when I went you know, on this kind of knowledge quest and I had this aha moment. And after that aha moment, it came time to try and purchase crypto. And when we first tried to purchase it, we immediately ran into some issues. And the only way to get a hold of this particular exchange was via email. We sent this email in August of 2020, and we are still waiting on that email to come back. Zero, nada, no junk, no spam, nothing. Then we went on to the next exchange trying to figure it out. I fumbled and stumbled, was able to open account. I think it took a couple of weeks to get um, approved. And then it came time to purchase. And when I hit the submit button, it was just, spinning and then it stopped and I couldn't see anything in the account and I kept hitting it and I was like, whoa, whoa, wait, I don't want to like double, triple, quadruple purchase. Same thing. I tried to find a contact form and there's just nothing there. And I found it absolutely perplexing and crazy that this is the way the system was set up. And along my due diligence and, and meeting and speaking with all these people that helped get me up the educational curve, well, one of these individuals was a venture capitalist out in California that had a blockchain specific VC fund. I called him on the phone one day and I said, hey, I have an idea for the or for business. Can I pitch you? He goes, sure. And I said, before I pitch you, let me just kind of quickly set a scenario. Would you willingly walk into any financial intermediary? I don't care if it's a bank or a brokerage firm or what have you. You walk in there, you set up their paperwork, you're making your deposit, and as you walk out the door, that lady or man says to you, hey, Mr. Smith, by the way, thank you for setting up the account. But if later on today or next week or next month or next year, you have a problem with the account, money's missing, you can't transfer, you can't send, you can't receive, you can't purchase, you can't bill pay, whatever it is. If you try and contact us via phone, via chat, via email, like no one's going to be there to respond. Are you cool with that? And we were on video and he looks at me. He's like, what? that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Why are you asking me that question? I said, because that's exactly the business model today of cryptocurrency exchanges across the map. If, you build, if we build it, they will come. And there's zero modeling. And so they're expecting people to fork over their hard-earned capital and money, which is probably one of the top three things in their life as far as importance behind their health and their family and things of that nature. And I said, this is absolutely ludicrous. And I said, you know, I, I am not comfortable with this. And then when you start doing the more research about it, you see 
and this is kind of to your point, that let's talk about you know, the cryptocurrency adoption. How broad is it? How mass is it? Well, the reality is we hear a lot of it. You know, it's on CNBC constantly, and you're starting to see some commercials. But the reality is when you look at the statistics, it is a very, very, very finite community. We're talking about 220 million people out of 8 billion. And that number was at 106 million at the beginning of 2021. So it did double, but you're still talking less than three out of 100, 2.75% global. Now, why is that? It gets back to what I was just talking about. It's too chunky, clunky, cumbersome, scary. And the most devastating thing is there's nowhere to turn once you have a problem. I'm not picking on, I'm not gonna name any of the exchanges, but when we were doing our due diligence and reviewing all of these exchanges and their quote, client service capabilities, I mean, these firms are absolutely eviscerated. And I get it. I mean, again, imagine, you know, you called up your bank and your money's locked up and you can't call up your bank. There's nowhere to go. You would be upset too. And our notion was this cannot be right. You know, for this industry to really take hold and for really to have this mass and broad adoption, you have to have a capability and functionality where when people need help, they need somewhere to turn, you know, whether again, they're trying to figure out how to set up their wallet, how to set up their account. We will not be providing investment advice, but really education, know-how, everything else they need, hand-holding, if you will. And I think it's interesting because this is not a, a demographic issue. It's not necessarily a novice or expert issue because if your money's locked up and you're an expert in blockchain and expert in trading, that's not going to help you. You still need to get a hold of those folks and figure out what's going on. And that's exactly what our business model is. Okay. You said we were opening an account. You said we tried to open this account. Was this a was this you had already started a business and decided, oh, we're going to go try to do this? Or is there a backstory? Because that, that is the tagline of my show. And I want to understand, did the business come after in a personal experience? So look, I, I will say this, there is nothing in the world that is going to supplant determination, ambition, and passion. And I'll repeat that, determination, ambition, and passion. It doesn't matter what college you went to, doesn't matter if you went to college, doesn't matter what firm you went for. If you have those three characteristics, you can get it done. I said we because I was using my wife as a guinea pig. She, she was the one that and I was with her. I was shepherding yeah. her through the process. And obviously for her, it was difficult because she's not a financial services person. And I pretty much have handled all of that stuff. But as I was guiding her and watching it and doing along with her, this is the story of, yes, my personal stake on being uh, just insanely confused that really how it works. Wow. And again, okay. it, wasn't, it wasn't just this one exchange, right? Sure. Gone to it. And then once you start doing the work, because what we wanted to do was, so, so now let me depart from we. We is now my partners. And I'll explain how this yeah. came to be. When, when, I, when my wife and I went through this process and it was miserable and I started doing a lot of research, finding out there are other exchanges that offer any help. And it was like, you know, crickets across the board. And then I pitched this VC. And when I pitched this VC, he actually said, hey, that's a very interesting idea. We want to be a part of it. You might want to meet these guys in Los Angeles who we've done some work with. And I said, okay, fine, great. What do they do? 
And he said, do you know what uh, Geek Squad is? And I said, yeah, I do. And he said, well, they have a firm just like that, but they are helping people with cryptocurrency, kind of ma and pa investors. And so when I first got introduced to them, we had our first call on January 1st of 2021. And I pitched them on the idea and they obviously liked it. And so within a couple of months, we had you know, formed this, this, this company and we started doing even further due diligence, speaking, and speaking with and meeting with all kinds of people from all over. And everybody's like, this is astonishing that this is not out there. And again, we had interviewed attorneys, we had interviewed other VCs, we had interviewed, you know, spoken just a lot of people. And almost everyone had either a personal story or knew someone that had a horror story of dealing with these exchanges. You start, did you start by saying everything you've just told us, like this whole backstory, and you said, let's just go on a journey together and see if it leads to forming H2 crypto? Or did you have a pitch ready to go and say, hey, I want to build this business? And they jumped on board. How did that all happen? Yeah, it's really the latter. So, you know, when we first had our, our introductory call, I gave them, you know, my as similar as I'm doing with you right now, I gave them my background and what I'd done and who I'd worked for and this miserable experience I had. And I want to create a company that does X. And the initial conversation was probably more around them being a, a white label third party. They would be the client service component of my company. But it was only a couple of calls after that that we decided, hey, it probably makes more sense that you be, you know, you are a part of H2 Crypto. So yes, my thesis the whole time was to launch a business that was going to be, you know, the first that we know of, of its kind, cryptocurrency exchange globally that offered true 24-7, 365 live support via secure chat, email, and phone. And these guys had the areas of expertise that I didn't. And that was critical. I'm coming from the traditional finance world. I know capital markets, all these things. Well, my COO has been in tech for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. But more importantly, he has also been in the crypto space for about half its life cycle. He's also worked in and run call centers. So he understands that whole dynamic of client service and how to effectuate all that. The other colleague is our chief information officer, and he's been in tech and tech security for 20 years. And if you think about startups today, I know a lot of it is, you know, kids in skinny jeans and cape and skateboards and hoodies and all that. But here we are with a C-suite that has um, an aggregate experience of 70 years. And I think that goes a long, long way. And each of us that are controlling our respective vertical have very deep experience there. The synergies, the synergies were almost immediate. I mean, you could just tell by the flow of the conversation really on the first call, but after, you know, a few extra calls, it was this, you know, the company was born, if you will. I think February 11th was the day we incorporated. And the first phone call we had as a a team was on January 1st. So that tells you how quick uh, it was turned around. Who are, who are your customers? Our launch is imminent. So um, it, it should be very, very soon. But I think that our client are going to be a, a bit of a, of a range of folks. There are a lot of people that are in crypto that have several accounts with different exchanges just to spread the kind of love around, if you will, and, and have different wallets with different exchanges. But I think our real bread and butter is going to come with that, you know, just under 7.7 billion people that have been sitting on the sidelines because they've been afraid. 
And that's been their, their number one hurdle is not having people there to help them. And again, you know, a lot of people seem to think that this is a 40 and up, right? People that maybe are a little bit more technologically challenged, if you will. And I will tell you that I have phone calls daily with people. I was on the phone literally yesterday with a 24-year-old. And it was with a company that we were talking to about doing some services for us. And he said, what do you guys do? And I told him and he said, God, my friends and I were dying to get into crypto, but we're just horrified. We don't know what the hell we're doing and we don't want to lose our money. And that is the exact microcosm of why H2 Crypto is there. And we know if we can help and be people's shepherds and help them get onboarded and understand the different lingo and terminologies and, and you know the, the different coins and tokens. Again, not providing investment advice, but that has been the missing ingredient. Now, that being said, that's just our, to me, punch to the gut, number one value proposition out of the gate. But down the road, we have a lot of additional things that we feel are going to make us truly differentiated. And there's just a lot of things. This is such an evolutionary and dynamic industry that things are changing so rapidly and so quickly that there's going to be a lot better things even to come in the very near future in this space. And I just have to ask you, like when you when you look at the customer that is interested in getting into crypto. Am I to understand that the that the experience that they're going to get after opening that account is going to range from, you know, really, really good. And here's information and here's resources to like you're describing. You're still waiting on an email to get responded. I mean, is it that is that is that the real world at this point? The real world is you if you have an issue with any exchange again that I've come across. I want to be clear with that. Yeah, sure. Uh, you're totally at their mercy. You are totally at their mercy. And the exchange that my wife um, currently has some, some coins on until we're up and running, the, you know, she has a decent size account, nothing crazy, but there is like a little disclaimer on there that, oh, you're a high value you know, client. If you ever need us, here's the email address. And she's tried to email them and one went totally unanswered. And I think the other one was like a four or five week delay. And again, this is this is not an isolated incident. And that's what's crazy about this. It's amazing that these companies don't have, I shouldn't say more of a sense of client service, that they have any sense of client service. They all tout trust and security. That's their big thing. We're trustworthy and we're secure. We're trustworthy and we're secure. And, you know, look, don't you kind of presume as an investor, as giving your money to any financial institution, that they're trustworthy and secure? I mean, do you have to walk into your local bank branch, your local brokerage firm on a daily basis and say, can I trust you? Are you secure? Or do you presume that's just kind of something that is embedded in dealing with them? Yeah. And in crypto, don't get me wrong, we're going to be trustworthy, we're going to be secure. But really that third missing leg to the stool is having support for these people. How do you, how do you begin to attack that you've identified there's a clear need and there's a clear issue and you've even raised capital to support the growth of H2 crypto. So, I mean, whether you can share the playbook or like, what is the, what, what does it look like when somebody picks up the phone and calls you once you launch? 
Well, we this is interesting because we um, we slightly altered the model, but the first thing that's really going to help streamline our processes and maximize efficiency. And I don't want to give too much away, but we are going to incorporate a healthy dose of artificial intelligence. Huh. And the AI that we're using is so good and sophisticated, it's almost as if you and I are speaking just like this. It's it's excellent. That being said, the way we're going to run our business from the client support standpoint is we are going to have kind of an internal, what I'm calling, you know, SEAL Team 6. They're going to be handling the most complex and complicated issues and cases that our clients may, might have. But we did decide to partner with a third-party vendor that is going to be supporting our um, our clients' needs uh, yeah. so for, from kind of the lower end, if you will. And again, sure. there's a there's a three-level mechanism for support. I think that for the younger generation, they're probably going to want to you know chat and or email. And then for the older generation, I think they want to you know, pick up the phone and, and speak with someone. I also think it's predicated on urgency. If it's something that is, is really panicking the client, they're going to pick up the phone. If it's something that isn't urgent, they're going to chat or email. But the other point about using the third-party vendor is that from a scalability standpoint, they can scale a heck of a lot faster than we can. And it is going to be offshore, but it's in an offshore domicile that speaks um, impeccable English, which was very important to me to make sure that our clients, because typically when people are, are calling or, or dealing with call centers, uh, they aren't calling them to wish them a good day because they're in a good mood and happy. They have some type of issue. So they're already a little bit wound up. And when there's a language potential barrier there, that's just another issue for them to get more, you know, exacerbated over. So we did a lot of research to find out, you know, where we could domicile or where we could partner with a firm that had um, their, their call center closer to the U.S. or at least spoke a dialect that was very easy to understand and easy to deal with. So that's how it's going to work. And I think the range of problems can be anywhere from, you know, I can't get into my account. I forgot my password. And, you know, what is Bitcoin? What is Dogecoin? What is, you know, things of that nature? What's a hard wallet? What is a hot, you know, all these different things that people, they hear these terminologies, but again, it's almost like a foreign language. And, you know, being an alternative investments, we like to alphabet soup things to death. Right. And in our world, we all understand it and get it. But to the outside person, or the lay person, they have no idea what that is. And I think crypto, you know, crypto to me has done a very poor job of having any type of truly strong lobbying effort. I, you know, if I could anoint anyone to be the 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 Bitcoin and crypto cheerleader of the world, it would be Michael Saylor with MicroStrategy. What have been your, uh, I guess, initial key learnings about company building? Look, this is my third chomp at the entrepreneurial apple, if you will. The playbook is relatively similar, although I would argue, you know, this, this is much more grandiose, this project, than my other projects. But my starting point, and, and I will say this, I think that LinkedIn has been a phenomenal tool for me. I okay. was not really very adroit or accustomed with LinkedIn, but I don't know if this is specific to the blockchain, DLT, crypto space or not. But I can tell you when I would try and LinkedIn request people, even very well-known, prominent people, 
almost across the board, they all accepted it. They all want people to know this space and get educated and be involved. So for your listeners that are truly interested in a career in this space, do not hesitate to try and connect with people. And remember, the worst thing that could happen is they ignore you and say no. And if that happens, you're no worse off than where you started. With regards to constructing the company, what we do is we sat down, me and my partners, and we spoke about what infrastructural needs are there to build this company. And there is a lot of infrastructural needs. And for each vertical, for lack of a better word, what we would do is we would go find, honestly, three to 10 service providers in each vertical, and we would interview them. And that took a long, long, long time. And the, the point in doing that exercise is twofold. One is, since no one truly has a monopoly on any components of this industry, we wanted to make sure from a pricing standpoint, we were in line as opposed to calling one firm and getting totally ripped off. The other thing is we wanted to learn from different firms how they were thinking about the space and who they were seeing entering the space. And I can tell you that almost every call we had with these firms, and it felt very good to hear that, they were like, we are getting bombarded with people trying to get into the space, but we have not come across a team like you guys. Your thoroughness, your, you know, I hate to say maturity, but your business acumen and your professionalism and experience. And I now have a spreadsheet that probably has 156, I think last count, line items for all of these firms that we vetted. And that gets to legal and banking and, you know, you name it, and, and we had it. And so that's how we kind of built this company. And we felt like oftentimes, and this happens in business, you know, you have this, I call it the Goldilocks paradigm. And you're interviewing a service provider and, and some might be too hot, some might be cold, but you really want to find that one just right. And sometimes you can't. And then you have to find the one that's pretty close to being just right. And, you know, doing this, it takes time. And there are firms all over the world that we vetted. There are firms in Europe, there are firms in Asia, there are firms here in the United States. And I think the bottom line and the answer to your question, honestly, is, is it's all centered around doing your due diligence. You know, dot your I's, cross your T's, do your due diligence. The, the internet and all the different things that are out there, again, from LinkedIn standpoint, I'm sure Facebook and, and Twitter, there's so much research that you yourself can do if you're willing to put in the hours and roll up your sleeves and do what you have to. And as I mentioned, it's amazing to me how receptive people are in this business to try and help. And that has helped us get to where we are uh, right now. What lessons have you brought from traditional finance, in your case, to architecting and executing a strategy in this new you know, industry that you're disrupting? I think two things, and this might come as a big surprise to the listeners, but the first one shouldn't. But I think that, you know, the main thing that I'm bringing from TradFi into this world, and especially what we're doing is... Uh, every second of every minute, every day, we've got to be client-centric. Without our clients, we have no business. Again, it's amazing to look at some of these valuations of the public exchanges that are out there, and they have zero client-centric nature. I think this is going to be a huge win for us. The other thing, and this might be very surprising for your listeners, especially with my background, is it always 
kind of drove me nuts working on the street, selling very complicated, complex products to people, uh, because oftentimes it became a turnoff. And we all found out what happened in 08, 09, when some of these products that people thought they knew what they were building had no clue at all what they were building. And I'm a big believer in this KISS technique, keep it simple, stupid. And when you look at what we have built out, when we roll out our, our website, when we roll out our exchange, our user interface and our user experience was all concerted around keeping it simple, stupid. Not in a juvenile way, not in an unsophisticated way, but in an intuitive way where people can get on the platform themselves, understand how to onboard them. We have trading for really, you know, both genres of investors or traders. We have a very click, uh, quick and easy one-click buy or sell button with predetermined dollar determinations. You can also customize it. But if you're more of kind of a trader and you need sophisticating technical analysis, we have charting. But all of it is, again, very intuitive, very easy to understand. But if for some reason clients have a hard time or trip or stumble, we are going to be there for them. So those are the two things that I think will be very critical for us and our success. Again, 100% of the time, focus on client centric and service, and again, really trying to deliver a very you know, easy and understandable UI UX. How can you, as a founding team, tell that you're getting product market fit and you're starting to gain traction? We've, we've been interviewed on a couple of different roundtables. I just presented at one of the industry's largest conferences in the world, LA Blockchain Summit, and I believe those videos are, have been posted to YouTube. And there was a press release dropped on us back in June or July of this year. And every time one of these things kind of hits the open marketplace, if you will, you know, our, our LinkedIn and Twitter starts to blow up. There's zero doubt in my mind, the tokenization of everything is coming. Everything, commercial, real estate, art, stamps, car, you name it. And that's just a matter of, of when, not if. And um, people are going to need a venue to be able to participate and all this stuff is coming. I know it sounds maybe kind of crazy, but that's where we are. You're building this company, but what do you want people to take away about this evolution revolution? I think education is key. I think, you know, get involved, get involved. And I would argue that, you know, the best way to get involved is doing your research, doing some education. You could literally jump on YouTube and I would start like I did. I would start with a foundational basis of what is blockchain and what is distributed ledger technology. And there are some very easy to understand. Again, I am not a technology guy, never have been, but I understand it. And people can go on to YouTube and they can search, again, introductory videos on not only blockchain, distributed ledger technology, but crypto, what is Bitcoin, what is, you know, all these, what is a hot wallet versus cold storage, all these different things. As I keep saying, the internet, has been a powerful tool. And then there are firms like Coindesk and Cointelegraph and CoinMarketCap, and they all have great websites. You can go you know, get on their daily runs, uh, CoinGecko. They all send out daily runs of what's going on in the industry. These are all free signups. So go on there and start immersing yourself. And then the other thing I did was going back to LinkedIn. I would Google, you know, blockchain 
people in my area and LinkedIn will just populate all these people or crypto, what have you. So the resources are out there. Um, I think I would just highly encourage everyone that even is remotely interested in this space to kill, you know, a few hours or half an hour or something just to kind of start learning about it. And when you see the power of the technology, as I did, and you start thinking about the applicability, obviously financial services is one of the first one it's globbed onto, but what blockchain will do, in my opinion, to healthcare and insurance and real estate and law, it's just extraordinary what it's going to be able to do. Yeah, I think one of the takeaways from today's conversation is that, you know, you can look at crypto and, and NFTs and blockchain as an investment and then from a financial lens, but you can also look at it from the standpoint of just employability and the future of my industry and where can I be at the leading edge and where can I go where that puck is going to be? Because like you, you made this comment earlier about the number of people around the world and the billions who are not buying coins. And buying coins and buying tokens is not what they wake up thinking about doing. And sometimes I think about this whole space that there's a lot of solutions searching for problems. And I'm wondering, like, is the, is, is the utility of when you break it all the way back down to what this was about and the, the ledger technology is the utility there for the masses. When you look at the cryptocurrency space, the buzzword is, and this is so ironic, because again, coming from alternative investments, they use the same word, and uh, democratize, democratization. And you know, H2 Crypto would argue that that word is awesome. The problem is there's nothing democratized about crypto right now because people simply don't get it. So they're not participating. Right. But when you think about the unbanked and underbanked, which is one in five across the globe, 20 percent of people, this truly does give them a fighting chance to to get onto the rails, to have you know some form of banking and whether it's just having a wallet with some crypto that they could send to their family members across the world, or if they start wanting to lend or stake or borrow or do DeFi, this is truly their saving grace. Now, some of the rails for them to get on is still a little bit wonky and maybe you need a bank, but there are ways, and that's another thing we're trying to do, is help effectuate these one in five get on the rails. Think about remittances around the world. Think about right. how much it costs. Think about the time delay. Crypto blockchain, it solves that almost instantaneously. And these are things that just haven't even been blown up yet because there's so many other things in the background that they're still, you know, working on and perfecting. But all of this stuff is going to be coming. And, and again, I'm not trying to oversell and the greatest thing since sliced bread. But when your listeners start doing some research, as I did, I think they too will have this aha moment and really what it can do for the globe. What do you most excited about with this entire movement? Well, I think having this, uh, I don't know if I want to uh, categorize it as financial independence per se, because that would allude to, you know, more of a kind of a, a net worth that you're financially independent, but you're financially independent from having intermediaries control and effectuate your capital. And I think that's absolutely pivotal and critical. And that's one of the, the great things about the technology and the great things about cryptocurrency, how you now truly have control back. I think that looking into the future, there's zero doubt in my mind that the entire landscape of the banking industry 
is going to have a dramatic change or they are just going to turn into dinosaurs. It's up to them at this point in time. And I think as they get kind of new leadership in these C-suites that they are going to realize uh, it's, it's mind boggling to me that you have some pretty senior CEOs across the street uh, downplaying Bitcoin or downplaying cryptocurrencies, but yet their bank is engaged in it and they're running blockchain themselves and they're offering these to their high-end clients. You look at the U.S. government and they wouldn't be talking about issuing CBDCs, right? Central bank digital currencies, as well as a lot of central banks around the world. So I think people have to be smart and understand that, yes, at least here in the U.S., because of the regulatory environment, and regime is still very ambiguous, but read the tea leaves. You know, this is all going to be changing. I'm hoping that the US government, uh, maybe in 2022, I don't know if it's going to have a definitive moment of clarity with regards to the regulatory environment, but I think we're going to start to hone in and tighten it up. I think down the road that you and I will look at blockchain and crypto, what the time frame that you're talking about, just like people did in 1980 five or six or 90 about the internet. Why do right. I need some box on my desk that can do, what can it do? It can do, no, that's the dumbest thing. This is, here we go again. And um, blockchain will be pervasive. Cryptocurrencies will be, you know, our kids and, and their kids will be, you know, I, I, I'm not going to go out there on a limb and say, will it replace uh, uh, paper fiat currencies? But it's going to be certainly, I think, you know, as prominent way out there. I'm going to update my Christmas list and start asking for some NFTs or some, some <laughs> tokens. Tell us where we can learn more and how can we engage with you? You can sign up at h2crypto.io. And yes, that's IO as in Indian Ocean. That is just a landing page. I don't want your listeners to get too scared if the cosmetics don't look great, but our website's built. We just haven't launched it yet. Uh, our exchange is built. We're finalizing a few tweaks here and there, but if you sign up at h2crypto.io, you'll get updates on our impending launch. We also have a LinkedIn page, h2crypto. We have a Twitter, which is at h2exch, so at h2, almost exchange, but just exch. And we also have a Facebook page. And I am more than happy if anybody hears this and wants to meet me or speak with me, please feel free to contact me via LinkedIn and I will connect with you and be more than happy to uh, answer any questions that you might have. But this has been fantastic and I really appreciate the time. Well, George, it's been a pleasure. Um, I want to encourage our listeners to check out those resources, engage with George and the H2 Crypto team. You can also learn more about ATL Alts on our website at atlalts.com. We too have uh, a number of social media outlets uh, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Twitter. Most of them can be found simply at atlalts.com or at atlalts. George Kushner, CEO of H2 Crypto, a next generation cryptocurrency exchange headquartered right here in Atlanta, Georgia. Thank you for joining me today on ATL Alts.